Thank you for tuning in to the Piano Explorer podcast. My name is Benjamin Harding, and it is my delight to welcome you to this community. You can join this community on our Facebook page, Piano Explorer Podcast. Here we explore the piano and all of its variety and complexity. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So on this episode, we want to review Boris Berman's book called Notes from the Pianist Bench. It's a fabulous book. And today's episode is really not really a review. It's more of saying to you, go out and get this book. And I realized that I only have the first edition of this book published in 2000. Apparently, there's a second edition out there. Uh, just came across it. It looks fabulous, just a little bit updated. But the first edition is what I'm going to be speaking of today. Again, published in 2000 by Yale University Press. It's by Boris Berman, who is a distinguished piano teacher teaching primarily at the Yale School of Music at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. He is a prolific teacher and scholar. He teaches all over the world at various festivals. And I came across this book upon recommendation of Nina Svetlanova, who was my teacher in graduate school. And I went out and got the book right away. And I want you to enjoy just how this book is laid out. It's laid out into two parts. The first part is called In the Practice Room. And then part two is called Shaping Up a Performance. I think this is critical to how we should look at our piano practice. Yes, we are spending hours upon hours in the practice room, learning our music, refining our music. But there's also a part in our profession and in our performing of the piano by which we need to take it to the concert stage and we need to take it to other people to share this amazing music with other people. And that requires a different sort of energy. That requires us to practice performing. I may have mentioned this book before on a previous episode on this podcast, but the inner game of music is such a profound book when it, un- when it begins to understand performance psychology. Of course, it's adapted to the seminal book, The Inner Game of Tennis, which is such a fabulous book for anybody wanting to hone the skills, the mental skills that are needed to play the game of tennis. Anyway, in the inner game of tennis, it talks about the potential self and the critical self and how these various selves interact with one another in a practice situation and then in a performance situation. And I am so glad that Professor Berman 
puts this book into two parts, highlighting the necessity to really craft our piano practice around, sure, practicing in the studio, practicing by ourselves, practicing at home, but also working on the performance and the sharing of this incredible music that we have been given the opportunity to steward in this time and place. And so, back to the book, he outlines the book into two parts, sure, but after each part, he outlines several chapters that get into the details of what he's trying to convey. Let me read the chapters of the first part, entitled In the Practice Room. We have sound and touch, technique, articulation and phrasing, matters of time, pedaling, and practicing. In part two, in shaping up a performance, we have deciphering the composer's message, seeing the big picture, technique of the soul, at the performance and prior to it, the art of teaching and the art of learning. I want to begin to take a look at a couple of these chapters of note that are special to me. And I, I first want to start with the chapter two of part one, which is entitled Technique. Let me read a little bit from the book. The word technique derives from the Greek word techne, which means art. According to this definition, the term should cover the range of problems faced by a performer. Colloquially, However, the word is used in a, in a much more limited way to define issues of velocity and manual dexterity. Bowing to the common usage, I will focus on this limited area throughout this chapter. By him focusing on the word techne, of course, uh, brings to remembrance how Heinrich Neuhaus opens his chapter on technique, speaking of the very word in Greek, techne, which means art. There is, in my opinion, in beginning and intermediate piano instruction, a crisis related to technique. And when we think of technique, colloquially, as Boris Berman says, we think of, of course, scales, arpeggios, short and long. We think of octaves, we think of double thirds, we think of sixths, and we think of all of these things pertaining to the execution of technical passages in the piano. There is a crisis right now, I feel, in scales, in arpeggios, in double thirds, and all of the exercises that Boris Berman references here in chapter two of part one. Teachers, if you are teaching beginning and intermediate students and even advanced students, encourage them to get deep into their scale books and into exercises. There are exercises that Boris Berman refers to. He refers to the exercises of Tausig and Hannon and of a musically more satisfying nature, Brahms. 
these exercises are important, but even more foundational, I feel, are the learning of scales, the learning of chords, and the learning of arpeggios. And piano teachers, you are creative, and you know how to make something engaging with your students. Allowing them to learn triads, for example, at the beginning stages of their musical journey and pianistic journey, I think is critical. I think it's absolutely critical for them to understand the theoretical nature of piano music, understanding basic analysis and chord structure. As we move into more advanced stages of piano learning, as you know, I mean, uh, uh, an, on average, a piano recital has around 50,000 notes, 50,000 black dots on a page in a regular piano recital. 120,000 black dots, for example, in the Rachmaninoff Third Piano Concerto. We need all of the tools that we can muster to learn this music. And one of the great ways to memorize this music and to perform this music is to have a solid understanding of scales, arpeggios, chords, triads. I intend to release in the next couple of months some of my own exercises as we grow this exciting podcast and as we grow this Piano Explored movement, both on my YouTube channel and here on the Piano Explored podcast. I hope to demonstrate that learning arpeggios and learning triads and major minor triads and scales and, and, and learning pentatonic scales, for example, and blues scales and major minor scales, of course, and formula pattern, that this can be done in an exciting and engaging way with your students in, in your studio. And there are ways and there's software and there's so many, so many different kinds of applications that you can bring to your piano studio to make the learning of technique exciting. Let's not just rely on Hannon. Let's just not rely on Doniani or these other fantastic uh, exercise books, but let's create our own for this modern era. Let's create exercises that relate to the students of today, focusing on different kinds of articulation and rhythms and uh, even progressions, chord progressions that they are familiar with in common day listening. So let's jump into technique full stop. Just jump into it with your students and make it exciting and make it vibrant. Of note in this technical section in, in part one of this book, Notes from the Pianist Bench, he outlines a wonderful arpeggio pattern that I've been using to warm up with since my days in graduate school, shown to me by Nina Svetlanova. And this arpeggio pattern is absolutely fabulous in opening up your arm movement and opening up your hand movement up and down the keyboard. I think formula pattern is crucial. He speaks of this, of course, in 
in Notes from the Pianist Bench where it unglues your arms from your torso. This is essential for good piano technique at the intermediate and advanced levels. So highly recommend spending lots of time in the technique chapter of Notes from the Pianist Bench. It's a fabulous, fabulous chapter. Now, jumping over to part two, and part two, again, is called Shaping Up a Performance. He goes from the micro aspects to the macro aspects. He starts the section, part two, by the chapter Deciphering the Composer's Message. This is a fabulous chapter, getting into details related to what the composer is trying to say, and then getting into the seeing the big picture, which is the following chapter, he sees how everything is put together, not just within the piece itself, but within the oeuvre or the works, the other works of the composer, and seeing how all of this music relates to one another. The connections within the piano literature to other masterpieces across the Western classical canon are just marvelous and so fascinating and so enriching. And so he encourages a broad look at um, other kinds of music that are related to the piece that you are playing. Of note is the chapter in, again, Shaping Up a Performance, that second part of the book, is called Technique of the Soul. Technique of the Soul. I love this concept. He even speaks about method acting. And of course, method acting uh, in large part was shaped in the Russian theater tradition. And where actors would take on the character of their intended character in a very serious and realistic and sometimes in certain kinds of acting schools in a dangerous way. And so let's not go down the dangerous route but let's, let's focus in on the positive aspects of embodying the character of each piece that we're playing. And he does a deep dive into what it takes to embody each emotional and psychological aspect of a piece and really taking on the character of a piece in a performance and really moving into that space. And sometimes that takes a little bit of reflection and envisioning what the performance might look like away from the piano. Taking some time to think through away from the piano again and away from the score, how the experience is going to feel as one goes through a piece in public performance. This is an enriching aspect of any 
pianist's preparation to be on stage. This is practicing for a performance. I love this chapter, needless to say. And he concludes this section and concludes the book with chapter 11, The Art of Teaching and the Art of Learning. I love the open-mindedness and the uh, beginner's mind approach of Boris Berman to say we need to be learning every day about this incredible art form and coming to our teaching with renewed vigor and vision for our students is so important. This, at this moment in time in this world, there's so much pain in this world. There's so much angst in this world. There's so much disaster in this world. And for us to be piano teachers, for us to be pianists in this world, what an incredible privilege. Out of 7 billion people on this planet, we get to sit down on a regular basis and go through this incredible literature, this incredible culture on a day-to-day basis. And it is just an immense privilege. It's just an immense privilege. I, I just never want to take it for granted. I know that I have taken it for granted on many occasions, but I have a renewed sense uh, with the chaos, the perceived chaos in this world that we are some of the most privileged human beings to sit down at an instrument and make music, make music in safe, in a safe environment, in my case, in a safe environment in the United States. This is just an incredible privilege in the history of the world, and I don't want to take this for granted. And so when we come to our studios to teach, and when we come to learn anew and to see the miracles, the the absolute miracles of Beethoven, of Bach, of Brahms, of Chopin, of Liszt, of Ratavara, jumping into this incredible literature is miraculous. It's miraculous. And so he ends the book asking us to really see how this incredible privilege that's been given to us, the art of teaching and the art of learning, is to say, let's jump in and learn together. Learn this literature, learn this instrument together. He says, there are different teaching styles. A good teacher should be able to switch from one to another as needed. Working on mundane technical matters, he needs to be persistent and concrete, but never dull. The student should always be aware of the musical reason behind the teacher's demands. On the other hand, I have been present at some master classes where the teacher's enthusiasm was positively contagious. Such classes are exciting and gratifying not only for the teacher and the student, but for observers as well. Inspired by the teacher's effusive encouragement and praise, a student seemed to be on cloud nine and the performance had an engaging air of spontaneity. But I could not help 
thinking about the morning after when the student would sit by himself at the piano trying to replicate his performance without the charismatic teacher nearby. Perhaps all he would feel is that he had played wonderfully the day before but could not do it again because he did not have any idea what exactly he had done the day before. I find this electrifying way of teaching very useful, especially for shaking off a student's self-consciousness and inhibitions, and I use it myself. In the midst of the great excitement of an inspired performance, though, I may stop the student to ask, have you noticed what exactly you have been doing differently now? This interruption often works like a cold shower. The student sets aside the euphoria and starts figuring out just what he has changed in his playing. In a situation like this, it is important that the teacher knows exactly what the answer is and leads the student toward it. There is a lot of wisdom coming from Boris Berman's notes from the pianist bench that in a lot of professions, let alone the piano, where that wisdom is missing. And I am so excited to recommend to you Boris Berman's Notes from the Pianist Bench. Go ahead and get this book. Link in the description to Amazon. You can order it from Amazon. And I hope you enjoy it and are encouraged by it as much as I have been. Thank you so much for tuning in to Piano Explored with Benjamin Harding. I'll see you next time.